Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 168. If you like Orleans, try out these other games. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backers, Jeremy and Onyx. Welcome to Team BGA. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we are back from Avengers. I know this is a board game podcast, and we're not going to do spoilers, but thumbs up or thumbs down? Did you like the movie? Is it a buy? Is it a play? Is it a dodge? Is it a burn down the Marvel Universe? <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm a little below the average here. I got to give it a play. I, All right, everybody. Get Anthony. Get him. I Come, I mean, come on. You know, we had the same kind of back and forth with with uh, the Last Jedi, where I was all about it, and you were like, "It's fine, it's fine." It's fine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat. But here's the thing: I'm reserving judgment until the next movie because this is really just part one of two. So sure, we'll see. Definitely a good film. Met expectations. Some great character work, and definitely now looking forward to what they have coming up. So that for looks great. sure. Yeah, there was two or three characters in this where. It was the best characterization I've seen yet. So still well worth seeing, but the end result we shall see. Yes. All right. So that's what's going on typically in the Marvel universe. Let's talk about the BGA universe, soon to be the BGA cinematic universe, right? Really? Yeah. Who are you talking to, man? <laughs> Netflix. Everyone's got a cinematic universe what? on Netflix. We're, <laughs> we're branching out, man. Do, do I have to go on screen or just my voice? Well, we're going to make you a giant purple dude that looks like the California Raisin. Nice. But I'm cool with that. Yeah. It's going to be legally distinct from Thanos, so don't worry about cool, it. Cool, cool, cool. As long as there's like blue lights beaming into the sky. I'm cool. That's You have to have a blue light beaming in the sky. Otherwise, it's not a superhero movie, dude. So until we get the BGA Cinematic Universe going, we have a lot of other stuff that's happening with Team BGA. First up, Origins, the giant game convention that happens in Columbus, Ohio, typically around mid-June. It's coming up. BGA will be there and we will be meeting with you. So if you are going to be at Origins, we definitely want to see you at some point. And if you meet a certain backer level on our Patreon account, we'll actually sit down and get to play games with you. So jump on at patreon.com backslash BGA because not only do you have the opportunity for all of our special Patreon back episodes, but opportunity for you to pick a game and Anthony and I will sit down and play and more fun will happen. Yeah, for sure, guys. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, and even if you're not on the Patreon, just like ping us on Facebook or wherever. We have to eat. You know, we'll be around. Um, you know, we'd like to hang out and at least say hi. Uh, you know, and if we have time, we'll definitely play a game with you anyway. So let us know you're going to be there. We want to know. It's the best part of any convention for us is meeting people who listen to the show um, or even just know who we are. Like, it, that's it's a lot of fun. So uh, you know, send us a message on the website, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, I will 100% respond back, and we will certainly make sure we uh, find time to catch up at Origins. So literally all the social media we have, patreon.com slash BGA, Facebook, Twitter, boardgamersanonymous.com. There's a way to connect us with us there. Obviously, iTunes and Stitcher, they have reviews. Please hit us up with some reviews. And if you want to put a little message in there for us, we can definitely meet with you at Origins. All right, so that's some of the stuff that's coming up. But in the future of the BGA Simac universe, we have a special episode coming up. Why don't you tell everybody about that? 
Yeah, so four years ago, way, way back when, in year two of BGA, uh, you'll See, remember... I told you this was a cinematic universe. It is a cinematic universe. Like, there's some continuity here. Um, You'll remember that uh, Chris, myself, and Drew uh, sat down and we did the uh, World Cup tournament bracket for 2014 with fantasy games. And we picked our favorite fantasy games based on 32 different games that were in the fantasy genre um, across eight different brackets, similar to the World Cup, right? It's a fun thing. We do this. We do this every year with the uh, NCAA tournament. We do it every four years with the World Cup, which is even more special because it's rare. And so this year we're going to do the sci-fi games because we did fantasy last time. And if you have not yet had a chance, go back and listen to that episode. It was like episode 32, I think. It was way back at the beginning of, beginning of the show. Um, and if if you don't have time to listen to the original show, uh, make sure you hit up the website at BoardGameIsHonest.com. I'm going to post details of the contest. This time there will be a contest, yes, so... Um, you'll have a chance to choose the games you think are going to win, and whoever has the best, you know, overall bracket, gets the most points, is going to win uh, a prize, which we will announce in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And if you have certain sci-fi games you want to stump for, let us know. We're still building the bracket as we speak. This is, uh, the episode's going to come out on the 10th of June, so you have about a month or so until we put that up. And if you have a game that you want to be included, let us know, and we'll make sure it gets in there. So this is going to be a big, fun thing. We're going to spend a couple weeks talking about it. So make sure you get involved, join the contest, you know, hop in the different common areas, let us know what games you want to be in there. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we always have fun with these things, so we want more people to be involved whenever possible. All right, Anthony, that's everything that's going on with Team BGA. What's going on with our listeners on Facebook? What's our question of the week? Okie dokie, guys. So uh, a few days ago, uh, Fantasy Flight had one of their big annual events uh, related to their you know competitions that they have. And in that event, they announced the second edition of X-Wing Miniatures Game. Uh, this is a game that's been around for you know about five years or so and maybe six years. And there are... 50, 60 different ships out for it, dozens of expansions, and they've decided to revamp it, relaunch it as a second edition with five different factions and lots of new rules, upgrade kits, new ships, all the full nine yards, right? Some people are happy. Some people are not. I've not invested enough to care personally, but I know some people who've spent hundreds of dollars on this, thousands of dollars even, who were not super happy that they now have to go buy upgrade kits and revamp their um, their their fleets and kind of build out a new meta based on the new game. But that said, that's not the question I asked. I asked everybody, what game do you think most needs a second edition relaunch? So um, with these lifestyle games, it's pretty common. We have games that kind of get overloaded with you know feature bloat and the power creep. And eventually they have to re- reboot it. Fantasy Flight especially is known for this. They've rebooted now X-Wing. They rebooted Game of Thrones. They rebooted you know several other games they've worked on. Um, some of them they just killed entirely because they got too overpowered. So I asked everybody what they thought. Um, we had a lot of good answers for this. Scott mentioned Castles of Burgundy, not because of mechanics, but because of better art and components, which I agree. So... I don't think that game is overblown in any sense, but it can certainly do to look better. Um, Andrew decided to to chime in because he knew exactly what I was talking about and said, not X-Wing. There you go. Not X-Wing. 
Um, we have Jason mentioned Myth or Mercs. Uh, he mentions he likes both games, but Megacon is going away, supposedly. Uh, they said something quite some time ago about selling or licensing their IP, but it's been very quiet all the way around, but that would be great. So uh, I think those are two games with a lot of ongoing players that would like to see something else come out of that. Uh, Chris mentioned First Martians, fixing the manual and the lander scenario having new FAQs, mentioning specific details for scenarios. Um, since they change all the rules, I think First Martians would absolutely benefit from a second edition. Brian mentioned Battlestar Galactica, which is now out of print because of licensing issues. Uh, some of the other games mentioned here, Rococo, which is a little bit hard to find right now. Chinatown, also hard to find. Uh, Macau, super hard to find, unfortunately. Lots of stuff that could use an update, use a reprint. Um, personally, I'd like to see Battle Lore come back. I know we just had it in the last few years, but I like it, and it's gone now because of the Rune Wars miniature game. And whether it's new expansions for Battle Lore in the Terranoth universe or a Star Wars version of Battle Lore, that'd be great. Um, but that system in particular, uh, I feel like, deserves to be on the shelves continuously. Yeah, I was going to say something very similar to that as far as maybe Memoir 44, but I think you got me there. Battle Lore 2, the new version of Battle Lore in the Terranorf universe, I think that Fantasy Flight, Asmodee made a terrible mistake here. Now, we talked about this a little bit. When they came out with their miniatures game to take out a whole different market, I think they expanded someplace that either wasn't ready or it wasn't marketed well because I'm already seeing that stuff on clearance. And obviously now with Star Wars Legion kind of taking up that oxygen, Battle Lore kind of revised, as you said, as a Star Wars or, or something else, something else in their kind of IP universe would be excellent because just like Memorial 44, that command and color system is brilliant and beautiful and so much fun to play. And pretty much anyone can jump into that game and and kind of like it's one of those things a minute to learn and a lifetime to master. And that definitely needs to be kind of revised and brought back out again. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Like, I feel like there should be at least one command and color system at all times in print yes. being updated with new expansions because it's such a good system. You had Memoir 44 for years. I guess there's still stuff out there for it. You can still find it. Sure. Battle Lore is pretty much dead at this point. Which is a shame. It's such a good game. I have all of it because it was all on clearance and I picked it up, but I want the other factions. I want more content. And it's just such a good game. And something along those lines, whether it's a third edition of Battle Lore or just bringing it back, that'd be great. How about something like uh, Battle Lore Five Armies? Oh, that'd be great. Right? Yeah. Because they have the IP for Lord of the Rings and the whole Five Armies, the Hobbit kind of situation you have the dwarves you have the elves you have the elves yes <laughs> you could bring out all of those different factions the orcs and man there's just so much there yeah they have they have a lot of ips with multiple factions you legend of the five rings they yeah. tried to do game of thrones that didn't really work but nope. now that we're getting to the end of that series you could bring in more fantastical elements maybe you could do that again sure i don't know like there's a lot of stuff you could do bring it back guys yep all right, so that's everything from our listeners. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, what are you looking to pick up? Okie dokie. Not 100% sure I'm going to pick this game up, but uh, I had to mention it because I was a little blown away that it's actually happening. 
It's my little scythe. <laughs> right? That's it. That's all I'm going to say. That's, no. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a game that was completely fan-made. Uh, it won a Golden Geek Award for fan-made games. Uh, and I think it used like My Little Pony components yep. to re-envision Scythe as a game for kids. Mm-hmm. And apparently behind the scenes, Jamie Stegmeier was negotiating to turn this into a real deal game. And the reason I say behind the scenes is that we have miniatures, we have board art, we have a release date. This game has clearly been in the works for a little while. And it just won the Golden Geek like a month or two ago. So mm-hmm. I don't think he picked this up after it won the award. I think they've been working on this for a long time. And they clearly did not get the My Little Pony license here. Hasbro was not accommodating. I'm glad they didn't because instead what they did is they took the companions for each of the main characters and they turned those into characters. So you have like the little yak and the bear as little chibi characters and those are the the little guys you're going to be moving around the board. It is a competitive, family-friendly game. Uh, each player is going to control two of these animal miniatures going on different adventures. You're trying to get multiple trophies out of the eight possible categories. I think it's four this time instead of six. And you're going to take turns moving, looking for things, and making things. So it's really just taking Scythe and boiling it down into a game for ages 8 and up. And the community even says 6 and up. Um, And looking at the game, looking at what it has, I can believe that. I feel like my son could figure this out. So I still don't know if I'm going to grab this or not. I have a lot of games for my kids, but I really like Scythe. If I could play it with my 6-year-old, with my my 4-year-old, be really cool um just the fact that this exists is kind of mind-blowing and the you know jamie again has proven that he is paying attention he's in tune with what people are doing and that he is 100 percent willing to grab something and work with you if you're a fan and build something cool um, and i think that's amazing and deserves being called out so uh, my little scythe i'm definitely going to check it out this year at the cons and uh, see if it's a good fit for the family yeah, this will be coming out at Gen Con. You can actually pre-order it, so you can pick it up at Gen Con. Stonemaier Games has it up, so the pre-order is there. This won't be kickstarted, so no worries there. And as you said, it's kind of friendship is magic kind of situation. So it's about sharing is caring and rolling these special dice and being able to give resources to your neighbors so that that will kind of gain you victory points, which is good because that's how you kind of win the game. And, of course, you can run into pie fights. So you still have the dials, just like in Scythe, but actually here you're throwing pies at each other. So it doesn't have the violence of Scythe, but it can kind of teach you a lot of the mechanics. And I actually think – am I correct on this, Anthony? Didn't I have this on my acquisition disorder? Did you just not take this off our spreadsheet? <laughs> it was a blank spot and i knew you'd probably put it there but i wrote it down first so. <laughs> so it's definitely something to check out if you do have children or if you are absolutely positively super duper in love with scythe and just need to have this to kind of complete your scythe universe who knows jamie kind of does a little bit of everything and maybe he'll find some way to incorporate this but it's just adorable it's something you have to take a look at and i'll be out you know, Gen Con. All right. So talking about adorable, I'm just going to start off with a really quick acquisition disorder because as Arcadia Quest addicts as Anthony and I are, we have to mention the new expansion that's coming out because while it's not legally binding, it at least feels that way because 
Arcadia Quest Riders is coming out, which is an expansion in which you actually have these beasts that will kind of incorporate with your already figures that kind of come into play. So they're giant and your little figures ride on them. And the expansion has its own scenarios. It has its own big bad guy. But you can use all of your other Arcadia Quest in this and you can use this in all of your other Arcadia Quest. So that's a thing. It's not being kickstarted. It's about $65. It, it says it's coming soon. So we'll probably also see this at Gen Con. And I announced it. What do you feel about that, Anthony? You know what? I love Arcadia Quest. This stuff is great. I feel like I'm getting close to the point of cutting off on it, though, because I just don't play it enough to justify owning all the sure. stuff. It's so much stuff. It's so many miniatures. And I'm like, as few times as I've played it, I'm not even out of the base box at this point. And there's like three boxes deep. So I might pass on this, but they look really cool. They do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff here. I do want to mention a new Kickstarter that's coming up really quick. It's called Mr. Cabbage Head's Garden. It's a charming, eccentric card game about anthropomorphic vegetables for one to two players so there's a solo game here so since anthony took my acquisition i'm taking his solo one <laughs> now this is currently on kickstarter and it'll wrap up on wednesday may 30th so if this does sound interesting to you now most of the interest here is it's a tableau building game and there's a little bit of an engine as far as picking the right cards and utilizing honeybees as currency so you have your garden set up which is a three by six grid and then new vegetables will come out to the garden. You have a choice of three. And then you have to manage this kind of interesting little back and forth with the honeybees. They start on the left. You'll have a couple on the right. And depending on what vegetable you purchase to go in your garden, the bees go away or they'll be added. So you have to decide which card to take and what resources you do have available. And then obviously where you place them in the garden and how they are placed next to other vegetables of their type. There are certain scorings that come come about and there's certain scenarios like if you get, you know, the a certain vegetable on the top left and one on the bottom right, then it'll score you additional victory points. While that seems kind of like been there, done that, what's extremely interesting about this game is the artwork. I've never seen artwork like this before. It's kind of got this, I guess, Victorian, European, British kind of look to it where people are vegetables because they are your neighbors and when you go on vacation which will happen three times in the game that's determined by a card deck they try to steal your vegetables based upon their particular conditions so keeping your vegetables away from these vegetable people i don't know why that is but it looks really cool it's got an interesting take the artwork is brilliant and this is actually developed and designed, both the artwork and the production, by Todd Sanders, who actually lives in Pittsburgh, where he's oh, a graphic designer. Yeah. yeah. I've met Todd a few times. He goes to my local store. Yeah. So uh, this is definitely something to take a look out. So that is Mr. Cabbage Head's Garden, uh, one two-player game. And if something you're looking forward to as far as just, you know, a quick 15-minute game, this might be up your, uh, you know, garden. I will have to check this out. I'm surprised I haven't heard of it yet. Well, I do this whole acquisition disorder to make you buy games, Anthony. We already established that in the... <sighs> last week, man. You got me last week. What happened the week before that? 
Uh, yep, got me then. Got me the week <laughs> before that. You're, you're going to buy this one, too. You know that, right? I'm going back four weeks here, man. You're killing my wallet. <laughs> this <laughs> fifth week is going to happen. You're going to pick up. Dude, it's a solo game from your friend in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> it's a tableau building game. You're, it's, it's basically a puzzle. You yeah. love puzzles. I'm, I'm in. I'm already in. All right. Another win for the BGA Cinematic just, Universe. Can we move on before I spend any more money? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Anthony. Let's get on to what's our, hitting our table. So what have you gotten to the table this week? All righty, guys. So I have the new game from AEG that I played. It's called Space Base. It is the uh, newest game from John D. Clare. Um, he's the guy who designed uh, Mystic Veil. Vale. So he's the developer of the card crafting system. And this is his newest game with AEG. And... The, the way they're describing this, or at least how some people are describing this, is a more streamlined, less solvable version of Machi Koro. And the reason for that is it has the same mechanism where someone else rolls, you get to do something. But the difference here is you're actually building out a fleet of ships. Um, you start the game with your own personal board. It has 12 different ships on it. You start the game with 12 ships. And you have a couple, three different tracks, one of them for money, one of them for income, and one of them for victory points. They all go up to 40, and they're going to fluctuate each turn, right? Um, on your own turn, you're going to roll your dice. You're going to see which of the dice come up. Each of the individual dice, you can activate those cards. So if you roll a three and a four, you can reactivate the three and the four ship that you have on your personal board, right? Or you can activate a seven ship. And the higher you go, the better the ships are because you're combining them, right? Um, the interesting thing is other people can also activate the three and the four or the seven based on the cards that they have tucked under their board. And these are going to be less valuable abilities, but they can stack them and they allow them to do things over the course of different turns. So it's kind of a cool mechanism. And at the beginning of the game, you're only going to have one of these tucked under. Each turn, you're going to be able to buy one new card. So every time you go around, you're probably going to add one card. Maybe every four or five turns, you skip it. But every turn, you're going to add a card, and you're going to make your tableau stronger so that you're building up more income on other people's turns. Um, so you might upgrade your one, and then your three, and then your five, and then your four, and then maybe your nine, but probably your one through six first. Um, and just generate more income on other people's turns. And this number is going to go higher and higher based on how many players there are. If you're playing with like five people, uh, the first time I did, we played with five, and you're going to get a lot more income in between turns. Um, the various card abilities are money. Um, you can get more income. You can get victory points. And you can do other things such as load up special abilities that activate different cards in your tableau based on what people roll. Um, the... The game only goes to 40 points. So the first person to trigger 40 points, you finish that round, the game is over. So in theory, it's a fairly quick game. And it should be a fairly quick game because you're only going to 40 points. Um, you're going to go around a decent number of times before you build up enough of an engine to score a lot of points. But it shouldn't take that long. The problem that I found is that it does take a little bit of time, uh, especially your first few plays. One, the rule book is not great. It does not touch on two or three very important issues, um, such as order of triggers. Um, there's a special ability that lets you load up charges onto cards that then activate based on certain die rolls. 
it is very unclear when those charges activate and when you can refill those charges. We spent a lot of time trying to figure that out, um, even on the second play. And the individual cards, sometimes the mechanisms or how they play out is not totally clear. And the rule book doesn't really go into that. So the first play of this game was really long and I don't feel like it should have been. And we all looked at each other and said, is this actually a good game? Is this actually better than Machi Koro? Um, second play was significantly faster, but still not as quick as the box says. Uh, I feel like, you know, the box says 30 to 75 minutes. I think that's incredibly optimistic. I don't know if you're ever going to get to that point because you're always going to be spending time looking at the cards you can buy, trying to evaluate the different abilities and just trying to figure out what you're going to do. Um, every single turn, people are trying to figure out which cards they're going to activate based on what role you had. If somebody's not paying attention, you have to go back and do that. Um, these are all the same problems you had in Machi Koro, but because of the nature of the game, it drags on just a little bit longer than that. And it, it goes a little bit longer because at the beginning of the game, you don't activate on everybody else's rolls. You activate once you've upgraded your cards, um, which doesn't necessarily happen for a little bit of time. So it the mechanics are good. I like the game. I feel like when it's working, it is a better version of Machi Koro because it is a little more tactical. You choose what you upgrade. Um, there's a little bit of luck involved, of course, because there's dice, but it, it works on a very fundamental level. Uh, whereas Machi Koro was solvable, this really is not. But at the same time, in terms of how you learn it, how you play it, how you teach it, it's a little rough. Uh, and I think if you had four or five players who've played the game a couple times, it would fly through in 90 minutes and it's fun you know but as a family game it's being touted as a family game as a game that's supposed to take an hour um it, it has some issues it could use an upgrade to the rule book it could use an faq um, even if you go to the bgg page some of the responses from the designer and the developers aren't really clear so it's a play i think you should definitely give it a try if you liked machi Koro but found it a little bit too you know solvable a little too simple um, without the expansions, this game is better, for sure, um, if you like that mechanic. Uh, but it certainly could use some expansion, could use a little updating. Um, the plus side being, it is an AEG game. It's a John D. Clare game. It will 100% have expansions. There's no way this game doesn't have expansions. So there will be more content. There will be more clarity. There will be more cool stuff to do. And um, maybe that'll upgrade the game at that point. But at this point... Space Base is a play. Uh, it's interesting. It's fun. It does some cool new things with the, the whole dice rolling mechanisms, but um, definitely worth trying before you buy. Yeah, this definitely seems like Machi Caro meets Majesty, right? As far as the kind of wide tableau that you're building up. The look of the game itself, it seems like maybe this game would have came out 10 years ago. Just something about the artwork and the presentation seems a little dated, as far as like as a fit as a kind of like a space game is concerned at least what we're seeing currently yeah it's a funny game like it's super cartoony um, yeah all the artwork is super cartoony like and the, and the individual cards are fairly unique in between them like there's freighters and aircraft carriers which are not because they're in space but you get the idea sure um, fighters there's bases that you can then upgrade to that are worth points and it doesn't like some of these games where you're building up a point engine and too fast 
it doesn't end too fast. It does have a nice manageable flow. So if somebody else jumps ahead, you could catch up to them. And I appreciate that. Um, So like in terms of game mechanics, I think it does fit with like the modern flow of this type of game. Uh, Aesthetically, like you said, it's a little weird. The card sizes are really strange. They're shaped. They're like one inch by three inches. Wow. Which makes no sense. They're these weird like gumstick style um, cards. And I think that's, 100% 100% because of the width of the board. Because if you had full-size cards or even, you know, the little Fantasy Flight size cards, the board would be too wide. Sure. Um, so you can't sleeve them at all. Jeez. Sleeves don't exist for this uh, yet. But it's it's unique. It's interesting. And it's not super expensive. So if you did like it, it's not like it's a crazy buy. But I don't know. It's a funny game. It's weird and well worth a play, I think. But sure, it's unique in a lot of ways. Last thing here, because looking at the images, is that board where you have the markers on the bottom, is is that slotted, or are we dealing with a terraforming Mars with the cubes just kind of slip and slide? 100% slip and slide. It's a mess. Ooh. Like, yeah, it's there were some bumps. There was some flopping. Um, people learned to t- stop touching the table. And it's not – it's a board board. So it's it's a it's a full-blown board. It's not, sure. you know, cardstock. So it's not as bad as terraforming Mars, but um, those things will flop around. All right. Well, I am talking about a brand new expansion that just came out and a game that Anthony and I both love a lot, which is Lorenzo Il Magnifico, Houses of Renaissance. Now, this is a really interesting tableau building game. It's a Euro game in which you're going to pick up different sets of colors. So there's purple cards. They're going to give you victory points, blue cards, which are going to give you famous people. They're going to kind of their portraits are going to give you special abilities. And then there's kind of a set collection mechanic. And then there are these yellow and green cards, which are basically your engine throughout the game. They're going to give you money and resources to buy additional cards. It's just kind of your typical Euro tableau builder, but it does it so incredibly well. Now, this expansion is hoping to do a couple of different things that maybe make the game a little bit tighter. Now, what I really enjoy about this expansion there's a lot of different components that come into play here. Now, first off, there is a fifth player, which you don't need. It, it comes with a pink characters, which is good to have, always have an extra color. But take it or leave it, there's a fifth player. In addition to that, there is also houses that come along with this game. So the houses are these traditional Renaissance houses that kind of lent their money and their fame and their power to this time and period. And what they're going to do is give you a special ability. What I liked most about this expansion is typically when these asymmetrical gameplay powers are given out, they're kind of given randomly or you get to choose from two. But here what happens is they're actually bid upon. So not only are you getting this house, but randomly there are added a little bidding board that's going to give you your starting resources. So if you really want a particular house that's going to give you a special ability, then your bid is going to be higher up, which means you're going to start with less resources. So people can now bid you, which is going to bump you somewhere else. But typically I found all the family powers are very good and there really isn't the battling over one house over the other. They all offer something to the game. Now, in addition to that, there's going to be additional cards at the beginning of the game. So Once again, playing those special characters that are going to give you a special ability once you reach a certain threshold. 
Now, typically that was frustrating because those thresholds were really hard to meet. But one of the new mechanics in the game is a mechanic that lets you play a special ability card immediately once you meet a certain threshold. So, for example, I was playing cards that were allowing me to play one of these kind of special cards right away without meeting the threshold because typically when you play in Lorenzo, you weren't meeting many of these thresholds because it was like reach five gold cards or reach five green cards, which only rarely came into play at the end. So maybe you got one or two done. Now you can get probably about three, maybe four into play. In addition to that, there is a new mechanic which has like these random resources or special abilities that come into play. They're basically tokens and you get them through a number of different ways with cards. There's an additional row of cards, which are basically kind of a mixed up uh, collection of the other cards in the game. So the purples, the blues, the yellows and greens will come out in additional column, which is great because typically those columns kind of run out or become too expensive. Now you have a second slot to get to them. There is also a new overlay mechanic that comes into the game, which will actually lower the dice for that roll. So at the beginning of the game, you roll the dice, and based upon your rolls, your your markers will have a certain value that will allow you to purchase cards from a certain row. But thankfully, now that this little kind of overlay jumps around throughout the game, it'll actually allow you to buy more cards than you normally would be able to do. So you don't have to worry about those low rolls anymore. So overall, for Lorenzo Il Magnifico Houses of Renaissance, I would give this a buy. I love the game. I love the expansion, especially as I said earlier, the bitty mechanic really adds something new to the game. It doesn't slow it down, but it adds a lot more to the starting setup. And all the other stuff is fine, but the asymmetrical starting player really gives something new to the game. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I picked mine up last week. The I love the way the auction works because you're not losing anything. You're just giving up what you start with. And yes. that's fantastic. And it's different. They kind of like they could be randomly put anywhere. It's kind of like Scythe where you have like a faction and a resource board. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really cool. And sometimes they match up like you have the auction board matches up well with the particular family that you're starting with. And people will bid higher on that one. And that's even more interesting. Um, and the, the interesting thing, too, is if you play with lower player counts, so I play with three, then the, the the little overlay that goes on there actually increases the cost. So it yeah. uh, makes it more competitive in a game that's already tight. But sure. And that's the thing about this game. It's designed to be tight. And that's what I always said is four is too tight. Three is good because it's not too tight. But the designers clearly want it to be a tight game. So if you're playing with four that's what they think is ideal and so mm-hmm. you they make it even tighter if you play with two or three i don't know how much i like that or not but i think it makes sense within the context of the game and it certainly works with two if you had that fifth column so um i like the expansion i really really like the beginning player power because that is it really adds a lot to the game and then you throw in the new abilities and all the new uh the leader cards and all the different things they can do and these uh, special tokens that can be activated on different things. And it's just all this cool extra stuff that wasn't there before. All right. So that's everything from at the table. Now to our feature review. So for our feature review, we are doing our most popular segment. So popular that Barnes and Noble took it over. If you like Orleans, try out these other games. 
So here we're going to take a look at six different games and how they utilize the theme or the mechanics of Orleans in brand new and interesting ways. So if that game is really, really working for you, try out these other games because they might just hit that perfect spot. So Anthony, why don't you start off with the first game? Okie dokie. So this is a game that I feel like more people than I expect have overlooked, and it's probably because of price. Um, it's Hyperborea. came out in 2014. It's by designers Andrea Travesio and Perleco Zisi, and it is currently produced and distributed by Asmodee, um, if you can find it. It's fairly cheap where you can find it, though. Um, it is a bag-building game, and it's a civilization game, an exploration game. So the, the game plays with two to six players, about two to three hours, and you will be drawing from your bag, um, and you'll be building up your own personal pool of, I can't even say what they call it, Sevilla cubes, I think they call it. Uh, but each of these is a different spe specialization for your kingdoms. So you have war cubes, trade cubes, movement, building, knowledge, growth. So six different kinds. Um, and then there is corruption and waste that you throw in there as well uh, when you build new stuff. And so what you're trying to do is you're drawing new cubes on your turn and then activating different technologies that you own to try to build up your own civilization and do cool stuff. It's got a lot of the same ideas and mechanics as like Orleans. Orleans is more of a worker placement style take on this, and you move around on that board a little bit, depending on which expansion you're playing. Um, but this one has the same idea where you're really trying to keep track of what's in that bag and what you're pulling out and how they're activating. And I feel like it's criminally overlooked as a game. Um, if it had been half the price, it would be much higher on this list. So that's Hyperborea. All right, well, next up is Yerkdesil. Yerkdesil is a co-op game in the North mythology universe. It's all about fighting back the whole end, Ragnarok. So you remember the Thor movies and the BGA kind of tie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, the same thing applies here. Basically, these guys are coming out Loki and all these other bad guys are coming out and trying to destroy creation here. So your job, very similar to Orleans Invasion, which is also an expansion for Orleans, in which you are cooperatively trying to fight back this invasion. Same thing here. But there's a lot of different mechanics in which you are trying to meet certain win conditions by utilizing some dice. But mostly what it is is there are going to be a lot of tokens that you're going to be collecting. You're going to have people helping you, elves and Vikings kind of supporting you along the way. So there is a lot of interesting mechanics here and definitely has almost identical feel to Orleans Invasion. So that is Yerkdesil. All righty. So next one is Puzzle Strike. Puzzle Strike is a game from uh, Serlin Games, uh, David Serlin, and it is very similar to like the... Uh, Street Fighter puzzle type of games uh, that you saw in apps and really early on in like PlayStation and you know Xbox back in the day. And the game is kind of a deck builder in that you are buying chips from a, a central um, purchasing area. Uh, there are 10 different characters. You're going to start with one of them. They each have their own kind of style of play. But when you buy a chip, you throw it in a bag. And instead of drawing from a deck, you're going to pull your chips out of the bag and determine which actions you're going to be able to take. So um, similar to, uh, you know, these various puzzle style fighting games, you're going to use these chips and activate different abilities and attack your opponents. But it's completely random what you pull out of that bag based on what you've built up. So kind of that really early ideas of bag building 
um, put into place for a, you know, multiplayer one-on-one style of fighting game um, where you're fighting, you know, with the person on your left or the person on your right, depending on uh, how many players are playing. It's a very interesting game. It has multiple game modes, lots of different types of players. You don't see it out much, but there is an app, again, as well, um, that you can pick up on the App Store, which is pretty fun to play, and that is Puzzle Strike. All right, well, next up is Roll for the Galaxy, the re-implementation of Race for the Galaxy, but it has a different mechanic to it. So instead of a card play, basically you have a bag building, or in this case, a cup building. So what you're going to do is you're going to start off with some dice that are going to allow you to roll them and then select special abilities that are going to allow you to build up your tableau of special sci-fi, space theme, world-settling developments, new technologies, and that's going to also be able to generate more dice that are going to go back into your cup. You're going to roll those out. It's going to give you more money, more resources, allow you to have more abilities. So just like Orleans, you're going to be able to place these dice out in special spots in order to activate, in order to gain resources, and hopefully in order to roll through the galaxy. So that's Roll for the Galaxy. All right, next one here is Quarriers. So Quarriers is the game that gave us Dice Masters. This is the original game developed by Eric Lang and Mike Elliott um, through WizKids. And in the game, you're going to start with a certain number of dice, uh, I believe 12 identical dice in your personal bag. You're going to then roll those dice and try to utilize the faces that come up to defeat different enemy dice that are available represented by these cards in the tableau or to generate other dice that you're going to take back into your bag. Um, so it's very, very similar to, uh, you know, a card drafting, um, deck building style of game, except everything's going back into your bag. There's a lot of special unique abilities that are specific to dice in particular. So there's a lot of luck implemented here. If you've played dice masters, if you've played any of those types of games, it's very similar to that. But the thing that makes Quarriers a better representation of this type of game mechanic than like a Dice Masters is that it plays well with up to four players, whereas Dice Masters is really just kind of a one-on-one type of game. It You don't see it much anymore. Dice Masters really did take over this. But Quarriers is a solid game, has several different expansions that add new and interesting mechanics to it. Um, the questing mechanic, uh, the light versus dark mechanic, lots of cool stuff here. Uh, and it's it's a really solid game, and it's interesting that it's not out more often, and it's definitely worth checking out if you like Orleans. So that's Quarriers. All right, well, let's say you're looking for a game that's so identical to Orleans, it's actually the same designer. Well, that would be Altiplano. <laughs> now, Altiplano is all about utilizing this, once again, bag building, but it's a little slimmed down because you're just kind of using a little cardboard box, but basically it utilizes Orleans, with a little bit of Stefan Feld's Luna, in which there's all these different islands, which your meeple will travel to, and then utilizing special abilities, you'll be able to gain the resources from the island, stock them up on your warehouse for victory points, or meet special contracts and conditions. And it also comes with a giant llama, so that's pretty cool too. If you're looking for something that's just maybe a little different, but maybe not necessarily as good, but just kind of in that same realm, Altiplano is definitely what you're looking for. All right. And the last one I wanted to talk about is a game that 
completely flew under everybody's radar because it felt like just kind of a ripoff of trains. Um, and that's automobiles. This came out a couple years ago from AEG. And the reason nobody's really talking about it is it was the third in a trilogy of games based on trains, uh, which is a brilliant deck building game. And the second game in that was not very good. So people just kind of ignored the third one, which is automobiles. Um, in this game, however, you are playing a, uh, a racing crew uh, and you have little cars that are running around a track. And instead of playing cards like in the Thunder Alley or rolling dice um, like in Formula D, you are building up a collection of cubes in your personal bag. And these cubes are going to influence things like your handling, your pit crew, your speed. Um, and you'll be drawing them and kind of customizing your race car and surrounding yourself with the best crew and throughout the process. So you're basically building up all the things that are going to influence how fast you move and how you get around the track. Um, and it's a very unique, interesting take on not only racing, but the deck building and pool building mechanic itself. Uh, it, there's really not another racing game that's like this, and it works really well. And it's a shame that it doesn't have more attention because of you know, just kind of where it fell, you know, a couple years ago. So that is Automobiles from AEG. All right. So if you like Orleans, definitely check out these six great games. They all offer different perspectives on the wonderful bag building mechanic and really do it in a new and interesting way. Okay. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.